0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast, where I talk to notable artists about their songwriting process. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to the one and only Matt Hafey, the guitarist and lead singer of the band Trivium. He's also been absolutely dominating the live stream game with his Twitch channel that has a staggering 234,000 followers. He's also an incredibly cool dude, and today I'm going to be asking him all about the band's latest album, In the Court of the Dragon. Here's a couple quick facts about In the Court of the Dragon. It's the band's 10th studio album. There are 10 tracks on it. It was released October 8th of this year. Produced by Josh Wilbur, it hit number 71 on the Billboard Top 200, number 3 top hard rock albums, and number 8 on the Top Rock Albums chart. And it is their third album to feature drummer Alex Bent. Please welcome my guest, Matt Heafy. You got the name right. Thank you so much, everyone who says Heafy, which is fine. You know it. I pushed the little applause button on my uh, stream deck, but I realized I didn't have it. I don't have it set up on this thing, so you're just—it's all good. You're just gonna have to imagine. I think it's especially cool that we're doing this, talking about songwriting. I got to watch you write a song on top of my song from five feet away not even
1: man I loved it it was great when the source material is great it's it's easy to riff on top of it
0: you sweet sweet sweetie it was a peak moment for me really like you uh, look fit by the way thank you yes I was a I was a bit fluffier of a boy I did lose quite a bit of weight and um, seeing you uh do your crazy fighting stuff Ah, it's just um, just grappling very impressive oh just grappling jeez (laughs) i grapple with not eating uh pizza every day so um uh, it's very impressive just eat the pizza you can just eat the pizza because you yeah That's great, dude. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yes, I um I have lost quite a bit of weight. And now I'm going to start exercising. I just did that by uh, cutting out sugar, basically. But so, yeah, it's... And the channel also has been through a bit of a transformation. Um, You know, it's called Gear Gods, and I love gear. But most of what I've been doing lately has been about songwriting, because to me, gear is just the tool to have better songs. I don't want to get caught up in the details of gear. I want to talk about how songs are made, which is the name of the podcast. And this is the inaugural episode, so thank you so much for being on. I and the chat want to know everything about how you uh, how you made the album, mostly the, the mechanics of it, the, the specifics, as much as we can get. So my first question for you about the album is just... What was the songwriting process like for In the Court of the Dragon? And how is it different from previous albums?
1: The last three records, all three, we did not say it's time to make a record. The big thing with us, there was only one record we ever did. We were given, you have six weeks to write a record, you have six weeks to record said record, and you're going straight back out. That was the crusade. I'm not saying anything taken away from that record. I do love that record. There's a lot of songs on that record I love. However, that's when we recognize this is not for us. So the last three records that we did, no one said it's running time. We didn't say it's time to make a record, but what we did all three times, including this last one, Any one of the guitar players, Paulo, Corey, or myself, starts coming with a riff through an entire song, any amount in between. We present that to the rest of the band. Once we get in the room with the four of us, and the four of us can play that together and play it to the point where it's not just like we get the instrumentals down and we save the solos for the recording or we save the vocal parts for the recording. There's a couple of things. We're going to jump around. I'm realizing that I'm already jumping around in, in subject matter. That's okay. With Crusade, Vengeance Falls, and Silence of the Snow, those three records, we consciously did not do vocal pre-production. I know people are probably wondering, like, well, that's a kind of small, trivial thing. It's really not. So Crusade is my decision to not do because I was like, I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to show up and I'll do the vocals when it's time. The latter two, each producer said, I don't want to do vocal production, pre-production, because I want to be malleable up to the point where we record. When you opt to not do that, when you're a guitar player or singer, there are going to be songs you're going to hit live where, oh man, how do I play and sing this? Because these rhythms are actually aren't lining up. It's not that it's too difficult, but you'll run into spots like the bridge section of a lot of the songs off. Vengeance falls don't match what I'm doing or even the verse parts. So with these three, we make sure that we can play it to the point where it's muscle memory before ever setting foot in the studio. So it's an intensive amount of, to refer to the food world, mise en place. Mise en place means put in place. And what that is, is making sure absolutely every single thing is perfectly prepared in front of you before ever even considering to finalize the dish and cook the thing. So within the court of the dragon, I believe it started with, I was on stream one day, I was testing out a new guitar so talking about gear for the gear gods. Uh, it was the the VOS 1959. It's 1959 or 1957 Gibson. It's the best Gibson I've ever played in my entire life. Gibson sent it to me. Uh, I played it. I started playing this riff that ended up becoming the verse riff to fall into your hands. I told one of my moderators, like, can you please clip this for me? They clipped it. I sent it to my guys. I was like, hey, check this thing I wrote on stream. I think it's a fun riff. Paulo and Corey both said, well, you know, I've been working on riffs randomly. They each said that. So for us, it's about never writing during a fixed or a proposed writing time, but capturing lightning in a bottle. So it's, I, I know everyone doesn't quite have that luxury. Like if someone's like, I want to start a band, I want to get signed. That's a different story. But for us, thankfully, since we're a little bit established, we're able to have that luxury. If cool riffs start coming out, we capture the lighting in a bottle, show it to the band, once we get in the room with the four of us, we bring that thing to the place where it's about 99 to 100% before we even consider the studio. What's pretty amazing about some of the things that organic improvisation is the term I've been using for the last record. With a thing like In the Court of the Dragons chorus, I had most of that song written. I brought it to the band. We all learned the parts together very easily. And when we hit that chorus, the very first words that I sang out of my mouth, without even having lyrics in front of me, nothing prepared. With the choruses you hear on the record, which is pretty crazy. The same words, the same vocal melody, same thing happened with Feast of Fire. I remember we struck that, that D chord and the first words I sang out of my mouth for the verses was the exact words, exact notes for the second verse with nothing in front of me. So organic improvisation. But when you're talking about organic improvisation, you think you think kind of loose, you think raw, you think organic, you think like rock riffs and like orange amp tones. That's kind of what I think when I hear that term myself. But with the amount of practice we get in, and to, to quote myself again, we are all religious practitioners of our instrument. People in the know, they're like, all right, Matt streams, but he's streaming his practice for Trivium. But people that think, oh, it's Matt doing that video game thing, I don't really understand it. 75 to 90% of the time, it's me rehearsing Trivium songs, rehearsing my craft for the people that support me. That religious practitioner that is me and that is each of us in the band, when it comes time to organically improvise the lightning in a bottle, that's the form of to create a song. So those incredibly long answer to show you what we do for the last three records.
0: Do not be afraid of the incredibly long answer because that was juicy. That had so much in it, and uh, it of course spawned a hundred more questions from me. But that's really, really good to know, and also to be able to have that moment of inception on camera. So I'm sure if we if we looked at that clip, we could see the moment where you just, oh, that's something. I've got something because you know. You know, especially when you've been doing it for as long as you have. But also, the, you've gotten to a point where you're so comfortable improvising in front of people. If you're going to be writing, especially with other people, even just in your band, people you're comfortable with, you can't be nervous or, or weird about presenting new ideas when you're improvising. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to get much. So that's awesome that that's how it's done. What's weird is
1: when it comes down for Trivium or Ibaraki... My, my side project band, I cannot sit and say I'm going to write something. That's when things, it just becomes too, not even difficult. It just doesn't happen the way it needs to happen. It needs to be lightning in a bottle. However, for everything else, it's instantaneous almost. Um, I, I was on Floor from Night Wishes YouTube and we were talking about vocals and I brought up a story from 2006 when we first ever met. She said, I'd love to do a project together. I brought that back up sixteen years later. It's like, let's finally do this. So Hannes from Sabbath's gonna play drums, Floor is gonna sing. I wrote the music. We're just gonna do a song. But I wrote that thing as soon as the as soon as the call was over, I had the song written in my head. And we recorded it, I tracked it, I sent it to them, and they're they're gonna work on it. Same thing with um Dead Mouse and I are gonna do a song together. Oh man. That kind of stuff. It's like the riffs just fly out when it's something specific for something else. But if it's trivia and Baraki, it has to be lightning in a bottle or I'm gonna trip all over myself. Like I can think back to Into the Mouth of Hell We March, writing that intro riff sitting on a park bench in copenhagen in like 2007 it was just like a beautiful day i'm looking at a lake and i'm playing that riff um so those are like the kinds of moments i need it has to be completely random i can't say i want a song like this uh, it just doesn't work that way but there's so many i'm looking at the track listing on the screen there's so many of the songs from this record that were written with that organic improvisation, just me sitting on the stream, capturing light in the bottle, then I bring it to the band. Crisis Revelation, pretty much the whole thing was written just randomly, me just standing there checking stuff. You know, I normally don't say when something's going to become a Trivium riff because while I'm this everywhere, like, you know, I'm sure people are tired of seeing my face because it's just on every social media at all times. I love that I can still keep it a secret when Trivium was doing a record. The last three records, no one knew we were doing a record and I love that. Maybe even the last four records. I think Silence, we kept it quiet. I think. I think we kept it quiet as well. But unfortunately there is already a riff that i wrote and i was like all right that's going to be on record 11 i don't know when record 11 is going to be but this is this really cool riff that will definitely be on the next record
0: <laughs> yeah well if you're constantly writing number one it's always going to be better everything you do is going to be better if you wait until it's time to write to be writing then it's like oh you're dusting off the rust But you're just consistently, organically coming up with stuff all the time, not worrying about whether or not it's going to be something, but then you know when it is. It's just just there. And
1: I I see that a lot in things. I see
0: when the world shut,
1: a lot of musicians were asking me, because I I put out there, it's like, hey, anyone that wants to know how to stream, just ask me and I will help you. A lot of musicians would ask me what to do. How do I start? When do I start? Don't I need the stream room? This, that. I'm like, just start. I remember telling it to Brandon from Atreyu, and he listened. I was like, just start on your computer, on your phone. I don't care what it is. Just grow it now. Start now. And then there are some musicians that have been building their stream rig for the last year, and it's like, you you miss, You got to start, man.
0: I started pretty soon after... I was at your place. I bought the 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 camera that you told me to the Logitech one. That's the one you're looking at me right now, and and I've been doing it basically ever since.
1: The new so. one you need now is the Elgato Face Cam. That thing is insane. It's like it's like better than webcam right before DSLR. That's that's the one. So I, one of my neighbors was asking about martial arts. He's like, I want to start jujitsu. He's like, but I need to do this, this, and this, and get back my strength up, my cardio back. He's like, no, just start. I was like, that will do all the things for you. So that that's like a big thing with me. It's like anytime I think of something, I just. Go for it. Like the Dead Mouse idea. That came about. I was doing a panel. They asked me about the Mike Shinoda song we did, and I see Dead Mouse in chat. And I was like, well, it kind of worked like this. Hey, Dead Mouse, how are you doing today? Let's do a song together. Sure, let's do it. Like, that's that's just how you gotta do it. So if there's an idea there, you can't wait on it too long. You can't be like, I'm gonna do this when this happens, if I can pull this thing off. Just make things happen.
0: That all makes a hundred percent sense to me, because that's more or less how I go about it. Mostly what we're talking about is like the inception, the initial inception of the idea. And that's the lightning in the bottle. Then there's the work kind of portion of it where you have to structure the song. You have to arrange it out. Is there a process that you do? Is it mostly collaborative? Is it mostly you sitting there in front of your DAW doing it or whatever? Um, Or do you bring the smaller inception ideas to the band and work it all out collaboratively? It's a great question. The
1: work all needs to be done well before the studio. So a lot of bands... They finish their songs. They write their songs in the studio. They're like, I'm going to get better and I'll eventually be able to hit this stuff before I get in the studio. For us, it's always, you need to be at that peak level at all times. That's the right brain. That's the the technical preparation, the mise en place that you have to have prepared before ever even thinking about going to the studio, going on tour, playing a show. It's not, I'm going to get in shape to go on tour. I'm going to get in shape to go on a record. You must be in shape and condition 365 days a year at all times to make a record. You must be at peak performance at all times if you want to take this thing really seriously. To get good at songwriting, yes, there is the theoretical... The learning about songwriting, learning about music theory, which is important, but the best way you're going to get good at writing songs is by writing songs. So it's just like guitar playing. It's just like singing. The way you get good at something is by doing it properly, not just doing it. You can't just lift weights. You have to learn the proper way to lift weights. You have to learn the correct form, the way to protect your body, the way to make things actually grow and increase. Same thing with anything you do, jiu singing, guitar playing. But once you learn how to practice properly, you keep that practice going and you will get better at things if you are doing them correctly at all times. Like songwriting, for example, I mean, 10 records in, we've got the song structure thing down, but it's also from absorbing and learning from everything you can, not just saying, I'm just going to listen to this one genre of music. I'm just going to listen to these three bands. But listen to everything. Understand everything. If there are genres that aren't your genre, you can still learn so much from that. And especially from songwriting, you should absolutely learn what everything and every style and every band and everything has to offer. Learn from the greats. Learn from the greatest songs of all time learn from pop, but also from tech death. But there has to be a song there. It can't just be riffs and can't just be showing what you can do. But if there's a song there, like technicality is very important, but there has to be a song first, unless it's something to just show ability. If it's purely just showing ability, that's cool. There is a time and a place for that. There is a market for that. But if you want songs, the songs have to be there first and you build on top. To answer the latter part of the question, whitening the bottle first, It could be anywhere from I have a riff, I have an idea, I have five riffs, I have 10 riffs, I have 20 riffs, I have an entire song. It's once I set foot into the jam room with the band with nothing on, we're not setting up for recording. It's just us playing old school style. It's us playing like it's a bunch of dudes that got in the garage for the first time ever to make music together. And it's about playing the kind of music that makes you feel good. When we write, we never think, are people going to like this? Are people going to dislike this? We selfishly write. What do we want to hear? What makes us feel good? Nothing and no one else matters. And while that sounds selfish, that is how you get the most honest, distilled, true form of what that that band is. I feel like all metal and rock bands need to be writing or jamming their stuff together as a band because they are bands, first and foremost. It should not be, "I'll, I'll write it, we'll send around each other, we'll meet in the studio. That shouldn't be that way. You should know how this thing is going to live and breathe live together in a room. What's awesome is with the chemistry between the four of us, and this is what we've been looking for our entire lives until we finally found Alex, you know, three records ago, we don't even have to talk about what the limits and the boundaries and the needs of Trivium are. Phalanx is a song that we wrote for Shogun. We couldn't finish, we couldn't figure out how to finish it for Shogun. So we brought it, with had the idea of resurrecting. It's a song that I wrote. I had the first and third movements done. Right when I finished the last riff that I had, I didn't even have to say, and that's all I have. Corey started playing the next riff. He played that. Then once he stopped playing that, I played the next riff, then Paolo played the next riff. Without us even saying, it should go to a part like this, should go to a part like that. It was no words, and we just wrote it and came up with it. And with Alex, just play the part, and he'd be like, I could do this or this, and he just nails it. So it's, to quote Corey, we all speak the same musical language. All four of us understand every main genre and subgenre that we've all been into before, all the different components of Trivium. And that's what allows us to so effortlessly write. These last three records only took us two weeks each to fully record. That's it. You know, records like this normally take two to three to four months to record. It took us two weeks to do the last record. The writing time was very, very short. The rehearsal time was short because we practiced so much together. I think when it comes down to when you see bands that are having to like woodshed a lot after the songs are written and maybe they're having trouble playing it because they're, they're bringing their chops up. We make sure all four of us at all times, like I said, condition at all times. Whether I have to go do a record tomorrow or I have to go on tour tomorrow, I am ready to do that. Like there's no time off ever. When we finished the Megadeth tour, I think I got home on a Friday, took Saturday and Sunday off and was streaming and singing on that Monday again, getting back into shape. So if everyone in a band is able to stay at that, that right brain mechanical peak at all times when it's time to be left-brained and make and create and you can just let yourself go you don't have to worry can i hit these notes can i play these notes because it's just about creativity at that point
0: that's pretty amazing to hear it's super organic and very natural and working it out very collaboratively it sounds like in the moment basically live um in the in the sense that you're all you're all there actually playing through it start to finish or or parts or Putting it together like that. Today's episode is sponsored by the amazing DistroKid, the best way to get your music onto the internet, and their new NFTs. That's right, if you are a DistroKid member, you can get a free NFT made to sell. DistroKid is launching 10,000 individualized collectible carbon negative NFTs on Gemini's Nifty Gateway platform. This member centric NFT collection is called Sellouts. 10,000 artists will customize their sellout NFT and join the waitlist to be part of the initial drop on December 15th. Sellouts are free to all DistroKid members to claim. Artists will earn proceeds from any sales and resales of their sellout NFTs. The price of each one will be fixed at $60, and the proceed of the initial sale and each resale will go directly to the artist. These are available to all DistroKid members for free. Go to distrokid.com sellouts to create your own. After you've kind of got it most of the way there in the practice room... Do you later on go like, hmm, maybe we should maybe we should cut this part out, or expand this part, or add this or that later on? And does your producer have any any input onto that when they're when you're in the studio or before during any kind of pre-pro? It's always about
1: the song being the best possible. So it's not like we set it up in the room and once the room's done, we're like, our way or the highway. It's done. Of course, with Josh, and what's great with a guy like Josh, we've worked with all kinds of producers, and for people that aren't familiar with producers, sometimes there are producers that are super hands-on that have something to do with every single aspect of the song, the engineering, the mixing, the tones, everything. There are some guys that are more engineer-based. There are some guys that kind of sit back. There are some guys that are super, super hands-on. Josh, thankfully, is the kind of person that realizes we don't need a captain to steer the ship. We do need another teammate. We like to work together with people. So he doesn't come in and act as the leader of the band, but he works to make sure the song is the best. So we come down there with 99 to hundred percent feeling like the song is there. If he has some ideas, we'll always try them. If there's ever something that like, I propose that the four of them aren't into we don't try it or if there's something that like 50 50 want to try we'll test it out or if Josh has an idea that we're not sure about we'll always respectfully give it a shot. But if we don't think it's there you know he'll un- he'll respect our decision. So it's a very collaborative thing once it's the five of us so collaboration in the four collaboration in the five and if there's something that can be better. We will always test it out. But if we know it's not quite it, we'll, we'll jump back to where it was. Do you have an
0: example of uh, something, of a, how a song came together, maybe that on this album that went through that process and kind of got better that way?
1: What was cool about Feast of Fire, it was the very last song written. I think we actually didn't even, that was one of the very rare occurrences where we did not have the full song, finish. finished. I don't even think we had the song there. It was stemmed from a super technical Corey song that had the main riff in it, but the whole song was based off that. and It was very techy. remember Josh was like, I feel like we need one more, one more song on this record. And Corey mentioned his riff, Started playing it for us, and I feel bad. I always do this, to Corey. Corey will always have some super technical thing, and I'll change it and simplify it and kind of gut it. And then it becomes a big single. Like Corey actually started the writing for Strife, uh, Beyond Oblivion, Damocles. So every single song or every riff of Trivium, too, that's always the fun part, too. I like the drill. My channel on it. I was like, "Who wrote this riff? Who wrote this song?" And there are very distinctive traits of what Apollo riff is, a Corey riff is, a Matt riff is. But then you also have to say, "What is Apollo riff in the context of a Shogun record or an Waves record?" It's and it it morphs from record to record. I think that's what's also a fun thing about our band that's um, always made it challenging to like classify what we are, which which I appreciate. But Feast. So I took this complex song of Corey's, and I was like, "Let's just do a very simple verse. Let's just." hit this verse open. And that's when I started singing the vocal part and it kind of dictated where the rest of the song would, would go. Paolo wrote the the chorus vocal melody. That's another good thing that I think bands need to be able to do is sometimes there are people that are songwriters and sometimes there are people that aren't. I believe that all four of us in the band very much so are songwriters. Paolo and myself are more so like vocal hook writers. If a band is a dictatorship, I feel like unfortunately you miss out on the opportunity to find these different great things that might be there, this other great writer. Paolo's been writing since the crusade, but his vocal writing really started stepping up on sin of the sentence. And that's been such a great perspective shift for me to be able to have another set of melodies or lyrics to pull from, from a different perspective and to put my own perspective on it, which has been really fun. But yeah, feast is one that Josh said, we should come with another song. Doug from a Corey one changed it a little bit. And I believe it was within the same day of pre-production in the studio, we had that song done. So it was probably a couple of hours. And while I say this last record took us two weeks to, to, to record, I think our days were like 12 to five or 12 to six. So they were short days and I was still streaming in the morning as well. And I had to make sure I get home in time to help get my kids ready for bed. So it's, if you put all that prep work before all that work to make sure you're conditioned for things, then life becomes easy. It's the same thing with everything. Same thing for jujitsu. Like, you know, you can't just go grapple with someone and expect for things to go. Okay. If you didn't do your homework and if you didn't put the work and the time in beforehand, so it's all about that prep work and it's all about that constant conditioning
0: that's amazing so then i guess the question becomes whether or not there's there are any sort of systematic aspects of how you go about it i mean so far everything you've been talking about is is this organic thing that you've built up from working with these guys for so long and having having your process really dialed but is there anything that you'll do with a song Super systematically, even if it's not exactly the same every time, but something that you'll usually do once you've got it.
1: It starts with the lightning in the bottle that progresses with one person for a couple of riffs or all the riffs. Then it gets to the four of us, then it gets to Josh. When we're with Josh, the studio, the very first thing we do is a full band re-pre-production. So the pre-production is the four band ourselves. So inception to the writing, we recorded ourselves to show it to Josh. Then we get together in the room together. It's the five of us playing. We play this stuff and do any final changes. We, we set the maps perfectly, the exact tempos of every single part. We play it live in the room together, actually, with a V-kit, so that way Josh can talk over us and we're all there. Get the tempos exactly right, get everything exactly right, the vocal placements, everything right, before we ever set foot to do the final recording. That final recording should just be the maps are there, you go. It's just capturing the performance of something you've already had planned. So we do the final first, first set of planning, the writing, second set of planning with the band pre-production, third set of planning with the full band and producer pre-production, then we start tracking. When we track, Josh likes to do drums last, which is really interesting because every record we ever did before for metal is always drums first to have a backbone. But the way Josh likes to do it, he said the reason why drums are last is because if there's a vocal thing or a solo or a guitar part that the drums need to line up to and you've recorded drums first, it's better just have it done last anyway. So we'll have the V-drum kit that alex plays in that final pre-production with the click track um i'll track rhythm guitars that normally he's like i would split the record in half we'd f- like finish half of the record vocals half the record vocals but we work so quick that he's like everything's just kind of done for vocals to be ready so do the rhythm guitars um the, one of the reasons why the rhythm guitars are so fast is yes i come i, I come prepared but using evertune is a huge thing that cuts rhythm guitar recording probably in a quarter. Because I've, I've done records where i remember in waves. Colin would have us do 15 to 30 seconds of music, and we're doing quad tracks. 15 to 30 seconds of music recording, stop, tune. 15 to 30 seconds, stop, tune. 15 to 30 seconds, stop, tune. I cannot work like that. I like to just work. I like to be prepared, do it correctly. And I'd rather do the whole song a couple times than start, stop, start, stop start, stop The same way we did Sounds of the Snow, actually. Start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, stop. stop, stop. Um, so we get a little rhythm guitars done. Then bass guitars. Paolo usually finishes the entire record and four hours. Um, So that's about how quick he does this stuff. Once guitar and vocals are down, then I think we do drums after that. Then we start hitting vocal tracks. The way I like to do vocals, a very specific mapping I learned from our first record with Josh. We did Silence in the Snow we finished all the vocals of the record, and Josh's like, Matt, there's a problem. You got better at the end. It's way better than the last song you did in the first song. Let's do it again. So we did the whole record again. It happened and We did the whole record again. So I did, the, I did Sin three times. Um, I don't know if that includes the screaming. Maybe it's all the singing at least. Then the screaming is just one takes. The way I like to do the vocals for Trivium, now we have everything, all the the main re- music recorded. No, no guitar melodies yet. No solos. Corey will record that with the engineer separately as I'm doing vocals. What I like to do is sing everything in the Ibaraki technique. The Ibaraki technique is that very classically trained, safe, sustainable thing that I do on stream. I do live. I do my Ibaraki record. That's, that's what Ron Anderson taught me. That's the sustainable thing that I, I do all my streams with because I could just sing it and scream it that way. It's a very different approach. The screaming resonations from pharyngeal larynx in the part of, around my uvula, that's where the distortion comes from. Everything is very technically sound. I'll sing it super technically sound the entire sing and scream the entire song because it doesn't burn out the, the stamina at all. Once that's all there, then I go back and do all the harmony parts. Everything that's super high that requires just like the, the most amount of technique and not not performance. So the super high harmonies, things that it's, it's all about hitting the note perfectly. Layer all the harmonies next. Uh, layer all the backup parts of all the Ibaraki style screaming. Once that's all there, then I go back and I repaint again with the trivium technique. That's the throwing technique out the window, singing super, super hard and aggressive, screaming super loud, just, just throwing it, throwing it all the way for the final performances. Because that's something that, you know, that's the main vocal takes I do for all the 10 records. That's how I sing and scream the main stuff. So we go everything with the trivium technique, super brutal, super intense for all the singing Again, for everything. Once all the singing is truly 100% done, then we do the trivium technique for all the screaming, put that on top of all the Ibaraki stuff. So it's just constant like building on top of things and pulling the old takes away to make sure that it's so practiced and so regimented and so perfectly executed, where it sounds like it probably adds more time. It actually doesn't. Because if you go in there and if I were to do the trivium technique with the first go and we're like, now we need some super high vocal harmonies. Well, my range is gone now. So it's it's all about knowing what pieces of the foundation I need to lay down first. So it is extremely regimented. And so that's the big contradiction with the way I work. You know, I talk about the organic improvisation so much, but there's also so much of that insanely regimented prep work and insanely regimented, like finishing work. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a very distinctive time and place for mechanical precision and preparation and just that artistic improvisational freedom.
0: There's a quote I can't remember the uh, the guy's name. Oh, Gustave Flaubert says something to the effect of, be regular and orderly in your life so that you can be violent and original in your work. That sounds like it fits pretty well. You're You're very disciplined about the craft of what you do so that the art part, the creative part is so natural. It just flows out of you. It's easy-ish. Or at least it's it flows.
1: But that's the way I realized too that I, I do jiu jitsu, even. It's like I practice the moves exactly the way it's supposed to be practiced as many times as it takes to become muscle memory. But then when it's time to grapple or it's time to, to roll, I essentially throw technique out the window and just improvisationally grapple with that. Because I've, I've had a lot of my partners like, they're like, your style is really weird. It doesn't make sense. But it's the same way that I approach Trivium, the same way that I approach Ibaraki, the same way that I approach probably everything in life. Same thing with video games. I'm like, all right, this is the way you're supposed to do it. Here's the way I choose to do it instead. But I, it's not like I just say, I'm just going to jump in this thing blindly. It's like I want to learn how it's done correctly and then do it my way with the correct way baked into the cake. That's awesome.
0: Makes perfect sense to me. Is there a, way that you, is there a particular way that you go about writing those harmonies that you're describing, those layers of harmonies? I put tons of harmonies, and
1: you know Josh can go ahead and eye roll and smile. He always deletes or mutes a lot of them. Like I would put tons, like Freddie Mercury style, and he just pulls them back. He's like, dude, it just sounds because basically once I go and hit with the trivium technique, the main. He's like, the main sounds good. I don't want the harmonies to blur it. So. I do it by ear. It, it took me years to get this going because I, I don't really know theory. I, I said that to Ishan the other day by text. and He's like, you know a lot more theory than you, you, you give yourself credit for because um, I'm doing a Nightmare Before Christmas Jack's Lament cover. And the chords of that are so bizarre and so intense that it, it blew my mind. But I I happen to write really weird chords. I just don't know that... I know they all have theoretical names, but I just go by ear. So, same thing with the harmonies. I go by ear. We've got the main safe Ibaraki sung track, Ibaraki-style sung track down on top of the music, make sure I can hear all the music, make sure there's no clashing. And I just improvise i'm sure i naturally always go to major minor thirds first always i love to add lower octaves or a double octave a higher octave with head voice and then just find what else there is i I typically find that it's usually some forms of thirds octaves and sometimes they'll be like ninths sometimes they'll be fifths and i just stack the hell out of it but i always stack way more than josh keeps
0: (laughs) that's cool it's better to have more than you need rather than less is there something that you did on this album that you've never done before in terms of the writing specifically.
1: Interestingly, not, not in a bad way of not trying different things. I'm always up for trying things out. But I like so much that I can see things that I've been doing my entire career on this, like that improvisational vocal writing. The thing with the story of In the Court of the Dragon or Feast of Fire, even Shadow of the Avatar, the very first words that I ever wrote in Paulo taught me how to play the, the, ver- the verse where the snows, snow covers every path. That's the same way the verse to Flies was written and the verse Deceived in Blinding Tears. We were just in our old Fairview mini-storage, disgusting, terrible hang- like warehouse uh, by all these chop shops, and I was just playing the riff, saying random words that ended up becoming cool words that I wrote down. So I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see the same thing with the prep work that's carried through. The things that we do before realizing that those are proper techniques or proper methods that end up being actually the right methods, because that's something when we did *Vengeance Falls, David Draymond told me, he's like, oh, the way I write vocals and the way that a lot of great songwriters write vocals is you don't think about the words first. You do gibberish on top. You've got the music there. You just do gibberish and rhythm. Is if you're trying to think of words, you're now slowing down the creativity. So that's that right versus left brain. So he'll just do random syllables. And I noticed that that's something I've been doing my entire life as well. So I was like, wow, I didn't know that that's like an actual professional technique or trick. I'm, I'm looking at the track list. I don't think there's anything specifically that we that I've never done before personally. I mean, having Ishan do the orchestrations across like 90% of the record is pretty huge. Like we never knew we'd be a band that strings and choir stuff made sense with, with the music.
0: It works though. It works real good. And good.
1: live, you know, we can either not, not have them at all and no one seems to notice because that's actually the way Queen did it. Like Queen had all these super intense vocal harmonies and all these things underneath, but live it was just, the band members and that was it or we can have the tracks on and i don't mean tracks like vocal tracks i mean tracks like you know the, the orchestration tracks the choir things the specific backups that are impossible to play and sing as i'm singing and playing something else so i think that's cool to have that and that, that's something we've never had before I, lo- I look forward to seeing how else we could do that i definitely would love to have ishan do the next record again
0: yeah i thought those sounded really great added they're not like hello it's not like nightwish orchestration where it's like most of the song. It's just, it complements everything. It's subtle, but makes a big difference. And I thought it sounded great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk to us about this and give us a little insight into this truly magnificent album i've really enjoyed listening to it your voice sounds amazing on it i mean every part of it sounds crispy so so great i want to take a fucking bite out of it it's amazing every part of it so
1: fantastic questions i wish you all the best my friend always good to see you you.
0: where can all my channel
1: find this so that we have this in the recording as well
0: oh so uh we'll be uh it's all on my youtube channel uh for the moment just this this live video which will now live on my channel which is youtube.com slash gear gods this is the first episode so of course now we have to go get it edited and then it will be on all podcast platforms Spotify Apple Music all of that It'll be everywhere just under the name How Songs Are Made. Awesome. So thank you so much. Congratulations on the album. Thanks so much for listening to the How Songs Are Made podcast. I do these interviews live on my YouTube channel every Monday at 11 a.m. PST. So if you'd like to watch while the interviews are actually happening in real time, head over to youtube.com slash gear gods and subscribe. Huge thanks to DistroKid and their new Sellouts NFTs for sponsoring this episode. Go to distrokid.com slash sellouts to create your own. Be sure to tune in next week when I interview Brody Utley of the band Rivers of Nile talking about their amazing new album, The Work.